0: How are you guys doing on this lovely day? It is August 14th, and what a week has it been with a whole bunch of news coming from Warner Brothers to Marvel and a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, it's time to get started and go to our show. So first, we're going to be talking about comics. And for today, for comics, we're going to be talking about Marvel Judgment AXE Issue number two. Now, this is pretty good. Now, this comic starts off with a brief page following some people, a few adults, with different opinions about the events. Just regular. You're basically your average Joes. Some of these guys feel like that everything that's been happening has been the mutants' faults. Which suck, because they legit didn't want any of this. They didn't want a war with the Eternals. They just wanted to be left alone. Well, maybe not Xavier Magneto, but... Then again, most of them just wanted to be peaceful. A few others agree with the mutants and do so in solidarity. And one just decides to troll because, I mean, you gotta have that one person who just wants to troll everybody. Anyway, one of them is actually the woman from the protest that was mad because the mutants were holding back their resurrection tech. I believe I mentioned her before when issue one first came out, and she was mad because they wouldn't resurrect her daughter, but again, it the only the resurrection only works on mutants so even if they try to work on humans it wouldn't have worked and i guess some people don't want to accept that fact anyway this is very interesting and it's kind of cool to get the viewpoints of non-powered people just normal your average joes because we usually don't get that we usually get the hero's perspective and everything is uh, humpty dory anyway one thing about Uh, this that's going to be interesting is the fact that everyone was kind of chill with the Eternals just declaring war on the mutants that's what was kind of the scary part about that was how calm a lot of these guys were like oh yeah the Eternals are gonna just wipe out a species yeah that's kind of scary (laughs) give me your villains but that's kind of cruel anyway One thing that's interesting is the fact that this comic takes place mostly on Kroka and space. So anyway, getting back into the comic, uh, during this, the X-Men are battling the Hexes, which are machines that the Eternals dropped at the end of the first issue. They're planning to kill the X-Men. Some of the Hexes are taken down easier than the others. Cyclops is having trouble fighting one of them until the Avengers show up. Exodius, who is a mutant fanatic, and if you're trying to think what type, think Westboro Baptist, and you basically got the gist. He doesn't want the Avengers to help, but he is outvoted by everyone, which is a good thing considering the fact that they're having trouble, and having, I don't know, Captain Marvel, Thor, some of the heavy hitters on the Avengers, and Phoenix help out is probably not a bad idea. Anyway, they fight, they help, manage to take down some of the other hexes as well, Meanwhile, Tony, with a couple of other Eternals, and Mr. Sinister come up with a plan to get rid of the Hexes altogether by resurrecting a Celestial. I mean, not the worst plan, not the best plan, let's resurrect a god. Yep, that sounds like a brilliant thing that's going to work out for everybody. <laughs> anyway, which uh, some of these Hexes uh, actually get their power from this Celestial, so again, I to their own. While this is happening, the fighting causes a tsunami to happen, which is headed for the Philippines, said to kill millions. Scott tells the Avengers to go save the people, and basically says they had it handled. Exodius, being a Westboro Baptist that he is, basically yells at the uh, group and yells that the Avengers have abandoned them. And yet another reminder for the council that the mutants are on their own, Kurt yells that this is not fair, but the fighting continues anyway. One of the hexes, who was down, gets up and begins to punch the ground, revealing that it's trying to sink the island entirely. Tony and the others end up activating the Celestial, bringing it back to life. Meanwhile, the comic goes back to the regular civilians who are watching the battle. Some of them are going about their lives. One adult dies suddenly, and it is revealed that the reason why he died is one of the machines that Druig put on Earth is basically killing people at random for power, which is very interesting. Anyway, one of the Celestials, uh, the Celestial they basically bring back, uh, returns the Hexes, and everyone assumes that everything is done, but of course, it's not over. The Celestial makes a speech, like all Celestials do, of being tired of the Earth constantly fighting, that he is going to judge them individually, and entirely to see if Earth has a tomorrow and the comic ends and talk about an action-packed comic this was and how everyone got to play some type of part now i will say you don't know who to blame for the celestial wanting to kill the earth who knows maybe uh, some people will blame tony because apparently tony has a history of bringing stuff to life and it wanting to kill everybody or sinister it could be either one or it could be that the Celestial just had a flash shot of everything that's been happening in a few years and said, screw it, everyone is getting judged. I'm curious to see how Ghost Rider will handle this because uh, technically he's the one who usually does the judging. Anyway, one thing I want to say is, and this is kind of funny, that Sinister looks like Jared Leto. I kid you not, with his long hair and the way he kind of looks, he kind of looked like Jared Leto in Morbius. I don't know if they're looking to cast him in another role. God help us all for that. I just, he just, he It's just funny. If you look at the picture in this comic, he really does look like Jared Leto. Anyway, I am very much looking forward to seeing how this all begins, happens, and apparently they have a bunch of tie-ins with other heroes. Now, I'm wondering, since Druig really didn't make an appearance in this comic, if the next one is going to be Eternal-based. Or we're going to see how Uranus fits in again. Is he going to drop to Earth? Is he going to try to meet them on ground saying, if you beat me, that will be the end of the war? Kind of like a uh, David versus Goliath situation? I have no idea. Now, a lot of these comics that are going to be tie-ins are other X-Men comics, a couple of the Avengers, different heroes. I believe Deadpool has one and Spider-Man does have one as well. So it should be interesting and I'll keep you guys posted. Anyway, that's it for the Marvel section of my comic review. We're going to head over to DC. And I know I said I was going to wait. But honestly, once I saw it was out, I couldn't wait. And I read the first issue of Deceased War of the Undead Gods. And my God, this book was definitely different from the previous one. Not not, now I'm going to say it's not in a bad way. It was just a lot more positive than I'm used to. Anyway, the story kicks off, and when I mean positive, I mean after the beginning part, uh, with the destruction of Krypton and Super Supergirl escaping the wrath of Brainiac. Her parents put her on a ship, send her away to save her, and basically the same thing that happens in every variation. Now, this is where the similarities end. Instead of, blah, I can't speak today. Instead of sending her to Earth, like they, uh, her cousin was sent to, they decided that they didn't want to send her to where primitives live. They wanted her to be with the gods, so they sent her to New Genesis to live with them. Anyway, this ends up turning to be an extremely bad idea in hindsight but they couldn't have known before that Darkseid would have had the anti-life equation and basically turned a whole bunch of people into zombies, including the new gods. Yep, she comes in in the ripe time where the new gods are infected with the anti-life equation. Oh, that is, sounds like a scary situation to be in. Attacked by Brainiac? Escaped? Attacked by zombies? Anyway, when she pops out of her capsule-slash-ship... She goes and looks for the new gods, and the new gods end up finding her. They end up chasing her, and she begins to run slash fly, but because this is the first time she's using her power, she's not that skilled with them, and they end up catching her with ease and infecting her. Yep. That's that. I read that, and I'm like, wow, this is just bad luck. Someone either really hates Supergirl, or she's going to have a really good character arc. Anyway, the scene shifts and into inside the Green Dome in Gotham, where a bunch of the affected heroes are now fully cured, like Big Barda and Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle. A group of their strongest go out to fight and cure Superman. Superman, who's been bathing and soaking in the sun's energy, puts up one hell of a fight and is much more powerful than any of them could anticipate it. Luckily, they are able to cure him. And he gets a robotic arm since I'm guessing his other arm was basically cut off. Anyway, uh, we move on to Earth number two where Lois is there basically um, doing her presidential stuff. She's talking to both uh, Jon Stewart and Guy Garner where a boom tube appears. She ends up seeing Clark. She's super happy. And Jonathan Kent is shown to be cured as well and reunites with his wife. Now everyone is happy, but um, the thing is, Damien has to go break the news to Alfred, who is happy but also devastated. If you don't remember, in the first issue of Deceased, he uh, was the only survivor of the anti-life equation, and to defend himself, ended up shooting and killing Tim, Bruce, and Dick. Damien tries to comfort him by letting him know that no one could have known that there was going to be a cure and it's a really touching moment, but Alfred still lives with that guilt, and that's kind of hard. Knowing that you killed someone who could have been cured, even if it was years later? Uh, anyway, a few days later, Brainiac probes come to Earth-2, and is instantly destroyed by Superman and his son. They end up exploring the Brainiac ship, and finding a half-destroyed Brainiac, warning them about the threat of the new gods. Now this comic besides of course the beginning was extremely positive which is a nice change for this everyone was happy i know some people felt like the superman being cured was kind of anticlimactic, but i mean you have the cure you got to use it and it's going to be interesting to have some of the heroes and villains back for who were infected so maybe we'll see some of the other heroes from uh, deceased the uh, unkillables and Maybe some from The World's End who ended up being infected because a lot of them were trapped in the uh, Dark World. So hell, maybe they'll be able to uh, cure Black Adam who was infected. Anyway, that should be very interesting. Uh, one thing I want to say about this is the other books left a lot of plot holes and it should all be answered within this book. I'm hoping it's all should be answered in this book. Like uh, Talia and Stephanie, Stephanie had died and she was going to the Lazarus Pith with Talia carrying her, but we never got anything from that. So hopefully this answers that question. And I got to say, I know that, hey, why didn't they uh, freeze Batman? Why did they have to kill him? I've seen a lot of comments on Facebook, but let's talk about that for a minute. Batman being dead instead of being infected is probably the best case scenario because the infected have been known to use their intelligence and the people's powers to infect other people. So Batman being infected would have been a lot for the heroes to handle with his skills, his contingency plans, and everything else it really would have been a one-sided battle for Batman to be against the heroes. In my opinion, it would have, and killing him was probably the best case scenario, so other heroes could flourish, because if Batman's alive, it's basically going to be a Batman thing, and he's going to have main control over the series, like they're doing with Deceased versus Vampires, where it's basically mostly a Batman story, until he's dead. Uh, anyway, one thing I also want to mention is I predict that there's probably going to be a uh, much bigger things happening because with the new gods, my guess is that it's not going to be a, Oh, look, there's new gods. Let's throw in a speedster to cure all of them. Let's do this. Let's do that. My prediction is that the infection is going to mutate or that the cure is going to be temporary. Anyway, I... I honestly can't wait to see how everything goes with Darkseid, Supergirl, and the new gods, and I can't wait for issue two. Anyway, that's it for comics. We're going to jump right into TV shows. Now, Warner Brothers, with their canceling spree that they're going on, is talking about canceling Titans and Doom Patrol. I'm going to be honest with you. If they cancel Titans, I'm really not going to care. The show really wasn't very good to begin with, especially nerfing a lot of people's powers. Changing the storylines, it just, in my opinion, it could just go down. It wasn't that good. But Doom Patrol, on the other hand, is amazing, and I really don't want it to be canceled. It's goofy, it's wacky, and it's just perfect. And you, honestly, with the way it goes, you can just slap them into whatever universe you're going to create, and it would make sense. Doom Patrol can live in basically anything. They've gone to other dimensions, space, they've done so many wacky things that I really hope Warner Brothers doesn't take the time to destroy such a unique and great show. And not to mention has one of my favorite actors in it, Brandon Fraser. I really don't want them to end this because no more Brandon Fraser, especially after they kind of rubbed him the wrong way with canceling Batgirl. Honestly, I was only going to watch the movie because of him as firefly but then again we'll see how everything goes anyway we're gonna be moving on to she-hulk now this is gonna be a spoiler free review so don't worry i'm gonna do a spoiler review next week but anyway as you guys have guessed they sort of kind of changed the part where uh she-hulk has her powers which is not really a spoiler thing In the book comics before, she ended up needing a blood transfusion, and this one, she just got into an accident and got some of his blood, which actually made her gain powers, which is interesting, and the show does hold promise. Now, some of the episodes won't be more than 45 minutes, which is fine, and a lot of these character dynamics is actually kind of funny, especially when you get to the lawyer bits and uh, talking about how she's going to be doing her job and her trying to get use of her powers it's actually kind of funny and there are a bunch of fourth wall breaks but nothing too bad honestly this show seems like it's going to be a lot of fun and i can't wait to see the others and not gonna lie this is actually seeming a lot better than miss marvel i know i'm gonna get a lot of flack for that but honestly it it's not that hard to do especially since there's no other shows kind of competing with it. But then again, the show is a lot funnier. Anyway, moving on, before I get crucified, we're going to be talking about something I never thought I would be saying in my lifetime, or anything in the future, because I am very confused on why Disney threw their hat in this ring. And, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's definitely an unexpected thing. So, unless you've been living under a rock, or... Actually, never mind that comment because they actually haven't really been advertising this, which is very weird. But Disney has won the bid to air Bleach, Thousand Year Blood War against Crunchyroll. Now, I have no idea how this is going to affect like, censorship, but honestly, this isn't going to affect the studio making the anime. This just means that Disney won the international distributing rights. Which basically means if you don't have Disney Plus you're most likely gonna need to get it to watch bleach maybe they'll put it on Hulu but honestly considering that Disney has full control over Disney Plus I wouldn't be surprised if they slapped it on to Disney Plus anyway one people are worried about this is because Disney may censor the episodes further than what country Royal has done in the past which is not something to throw away considering that this arc this final arc of the show is supposed to be extremely brutal and bloody. Disney has censored some of the anime from Studio Ghibli and some of the others before that they have gotten so this is actually a very viable concern that a lot of anime fans have Now, I find this kind of funny because you... Honestly, anybody would have thought that Sony wouldn't have gotten any trouble for any bids on anime. Because honestly, they own both Funimation and Country Roll. The two biggest international distributing anime companies in the world. And for Disney to go in for the kill and basically win the bid... I actually find I honestly I'm just gonna be honest, I find that hilarious. Just cause I'm like, wait, when did Disney when did in Disney become interested in an anime? Will this mean that Disney Plus may be a new place for people to watch anime? Will this mean that a lot of anime that people are like, oh it's gonna go on Funimation or Country Roll may not go on Funimation or Country Roll anymore? Can you imagine if Goblin Slayer I got reincarnated as a slime? or Konosubo, or any of the other great anime lost the bid to Country Roll, or are now on Disney+. Plus. Oh, God. Well, I mean, at least I own both, so I can go back and forth, but that's not going to be bode very well for some people's wallets. God help the people who don't pay attention to what their kids watch and then just walk into some of the anime. Ugh, that is not going to bode well. Anyway, besides that, a trailer for a show has been released, and it's a show I really forgot about. This is Pennyworth Season 3. Now, if anybody don't know what this show is, it's basically an origin story about Batman's butler. I mean, it was originally on Showtime, now it's on HBO Max, and they actually renamed the show for Season 3, called Pennyworth, The Origin of Batman's Butler, which I think is not only a clunky title, but seemingly really stupid. I get that Many people may not know that Alfred's last name is Pennyworth by, by adding an entire sentence to a show that's just called Pennyworth up until season three seems very lazy. I don't know how this season got greenlit, especially with DC basically canceling a bunch of their shows, but I really doubt this thing is going to get past to season three. I honestly think this is going to be their last season, especially since a lot of people are, are, from what I've been viewing, surprised that this thing even exists. So, uh, for those who are big Pennyworth fans, kudos. Hope it's been good, and hopefully Season 3 is great. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about the new trailer for Season 6 of Rick and Morty. It has been released and has a September window. Now, I really am surprised that we didn't have to wait long for this new season, And I'm hoping that it is better than season five. While I did enjoy season five, it was definitely one of the weaker seasons compared to the first four. Hopefully this means it's not rushed and the stories are good. And I'm wondering how they're going to top the finale of season five because the finale of season five was fantastic with Evil Morty exploring the other reaches of the multiverse where Rick isn't the smartest being. So what will happen? We shall see. And I hope it's all good anyway that's it for TV shows we're going to be moving on to movies now I want to talk about how Warner Brothers is being such a hypocrite when it comes to their policies it seems that Warner Brothers is seemingly trying way too hard to keep Ezra Miller in the flash and release the movie when Ezra Miller has done so much damage and criminal activity I am actually surprised that WB is still going to bat for him. Heck, there was even a news article saying during this controversy, over the summer, they had him come back for reshoots, which is really bad, especially with everything come to light and the fact that he has a felony warrant out for his r- arrest. I mean, when this came to Johnny Depp being accused by Amber Heard, they dropped him so fast from the Fantastic Beast saga. I mean, J.K. Rowling was basically saying, hey, that I trust this guy. He hasn't done anything wrong. And fast forward five, six years later, we're learning that Amber Heard basically lied. But apparently, they are wanting to stick to the guns with Ezra Miller. At least to a point. Now, one thing I find interesting is that they have put or broadcasted that they are looking at three options. Two of their three options is basically releasing the movie with limited press from Ezra Miller explaining his actions, explaining him grooming people, his felony, and other stuff. The other option is releasing the film with him not being at any press at all. I don't know why WB is banking so much on Ezra, when in my opinion they should just drop him. Now, one thing about the last option is the last option is basically scrapping the movie altogether, which is something I do not want to happen. I believe the best course of action is door number four where they just recast the role now and have whoever they got to replace Ezra do reshoots and basically put him in the movie. They did it for Back to the Future for number one when Michael J. Fox ended up being casted late in the game and they did the reshoots with Michael J. Fox basically being edited in. They can do the same for somebody else. Heck, they did it recently with Kevin Spacey with that one Ridley Scott movie where they got someone else to play the role and they did a bunch of reshoots. At this point, I feel like that's the most viable option. Just drop Ezra Miller and you will be good. And if they decide to release the movie and have Ezra do press, I'm not going to watch it. Honestly, I really don't want to watch it if that ends up being the case Which I hate this option because there's so many people who worked on this film. And the concept seems really cool, especially with Michael Keaton back as Batman. But with the way this all stands and the way WB is handling this, it just really doesn't look good. And I hope Discovery kind of shows them that this is a really bad idea and helps them with whatever they're trying to do. Because this is really bad and it kind of sucks for everybody involved. Anyway, on a positive note, a movie series that I thought was never going to come back and was concluded, in my opinion, is coming back and I couldn't be more excited than ever. It is Kung Fu Panda 4. I honestly couldn't believe that this was announced. I really couldn't by DreamWorks. And apparently it has a 2024 release date. And I actually have no idea what this movie will be about. I know originally they had planned for a six-movie arc, so maybe this is the beginning of a new trilogy. Maybe this is going to be a time skip, because when this movie releases, it would have been eight years since the last one came out in 2016. Now, I don't know if this is going to be connected to the TV series that actually has Jack Black voicing Poe that's on Netflix, and if that would be considered canon. And I can't wait to see this movie, and it's all in its awesomeness just seeing Jack Black back with I forgot some of the other actors, Jackie Chan, Seth Rogen, Lucy Liu. There we go, I remember. And Angelina Jolie with uh Hoffman back. Oh my god, this is going to be super fun. Anyway, can't wait to see it. Can't wait for the trailer and time. I really really hope that this they do a time skip because that would be kind of cool. Poe older and more wiser or just more hungry. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for the Kung Fu Panda hype. Time for the spoiler review of Prey. First, I want to talk about how the main character in the film, Naru, is very skilled. She is an excellent tracker, and she is very used to be underestimated. And because of this, she's able to adapt to different situations, which I thought was very useful and very amazing. One thing I did like was she sewed showed wow i feel like some stewie (laughs) showed how smart she was and even more of a survivalist than any of the other uh tribesmen or people who have faced the predators before especially knowing the herbs being able to adapt to know hey this herb works against uh the predator being invisible i can use that instead of the mud which was actually creative because native americans were known to uh you have their knowledge of herbs and how they were able to treat different ailments with these uh herbs or yeah medicines and all that stuff anyway uh one thing I did like was how she quickly adapted and escaped the predator during the film throughout the film, you saw that she ended up fighting him sometimes fleeing and just watching him as a predator does to a prey, and seeing how they reacted, and seeing their markers. Anyway, one thing I did like was, throughout the entire movie, she kept trying to prove herself. Whether it was against the bear, lion, or even the predator, she tried to adapt and fight with everything she did have, and with it being taking place during the 1700s, it wasn't a lot. One thing I loved was the scene in the film, where she is basically sharpening her tools she's talking to the frenchman basically saying how she wants revenge that she's tired and she's going to be killing the predator the frenchman realizes that his leg is freaking cut off goes to his pistol pulls it out reloads it and tries to fire on it just to realize that she did something to it and the predator's right there thinking that, hey, this guy's trying to shoot me and just kills him. That was amazing. One thing also is the fact that this film didn't add unnecessary drama. And I like that. That was the thing that held the last Predator movie out, The Predator, was so much unnecessary drama, so much unnecessary stuff being stuffed into a Predator film, that it went so left field from what the origin was of the Predator films itself. I'll say this, Naru did have her problems, but it fit well with her character about her wanting to prove herself, especially after her brother was killed and she escaped the Predator. Now, the Predator in the film, the actor did a fantastic job of moving like the Predator, the action sequences, and everything else. One thing I did love was showing how the Predator, its early iterations of the Yatua, were I mean, the, this predator was ruthless and craved the hunt of others, even to the point where it would actively put itself in danger, especially as shown in when fighting the French, being surprised, attacked and even injured by the bear traps. They ended up putting up a good fight. I mean, I get that the predator basically wiped them out, but for what they had and and the technology they did, they were pretty decent fighters. Any other person would have been dead to rights with that trap, but I mean the Predator is on a whole different level and I believe that was one of the first times that they actually found it and saw it. Because they, they probably heard about it or knew something was out there, but didn't know what considering that they didn't know he had invisibility. Anyway, uh, one thing I did like was how the Predator underestimated the humans, which allowed it to be trapped and netted. I mean, heck, they did more than what most people did in the previous Predator films against this thing. One thing I did like to see was the Predator's weapons and seeing the earlier models of certain ones, like the net gun, which now had a container, which was cool. And instead of a plasma caster, they had smart arrows that will go on anything the Predator laser touches, kind of like the smart discs. Speaking of the smart discs, one thing I did like was instead of having a giant bomb just exploded that instead that the countdown revealed a blast of the smartest that just shot everywhere and cut everything on side. I thought that was actually kind of cool one thing I want to, sh- to talk about is how compared to the other predator films this one was definitely skilled in hand-to-hand combat and it showed I mean through the interactions of it fighting with the weapons some of it had the battle axes just punching and even just stalking this thing seemed to be a lot more ferocious because it had a lot less technology to work with than the previous Predator films. One thing I also want to say, because a lot of people compared this Predator to the first one, and how, oh, why did it get so trapped, why did it this, Fail to forget that this is supposed to be the first time this species interacts with humans, or even comes to Earth. So they would be testing the waters, per se, on what... uh, we have in accomplishments and our limits are. I do want to say that the one thing I do love was showing that humans were skilled even with advanced weaponry. One thing I did find hilarious was the humans in this film basically showcased exactly how hard it would be to hunt something or even kill something with muskets. Considering that the weaponry weaponry isn't as advanced and they're extremely lacking in the gun category uh one thing i did love was the fact that this showcased in the predator especially compared to when they were trying to shoot him and then took them freaking five minutes to reload i love that especially the scene where the predator basically pauses looks at them and the audience is too is like are they reloading Is that how long it takes to reload that thing? God dang. One thing I also want to talk about is how this predator looks different from the other predators which is something that is in canon because if you guys remember the movie The Predators which is technically the third one they showed that there are different subspecies of the predators and they look different which is cool for keeping that lore since this would be the first Disney era film but also still trying to connect to the previous films. One thing I do hope that we get is a female predator because if you guys ever played the predator game that came out for the PS4, I know it wasn't that great and it had a lot of mixed reviews, but they ended up having some tapes that you can watch on YouTube, which basically explain Dutch Arnold Schwarzenegger voicing him, explaining what he's been up to for years, how he's been hunting the other predators. How he has come across female predators and a bunch of other stuff and said how they're much more ferocious, much more vile than their male counterparts, which if you look upon other species, uh, lions, animals, a lot of times the females are a lot worse than the males, which would be kind of cool to see. Anyway, one thing I also want to talk about is the hunters in the film, the French hunters, like I said before, were actually competent when it came to their skills. The Native Americans, as well, while outmatched by the Predator, were skilled in fighting him and held their own for a bit, which is impressive given the enemy they were fighting. Even when facing an enemy they couldn't win, they still continued to fight, which is very brave. Uh, One thing, like I said, with the French trappers, Uh, if some of you weren't familiar with uh, the technologies or the history, these guys were definitely, from what I've seen, the top of their game when it came to hunting and trapping animals. Setting the Tramp that actually worked. It was successful. The only reason it failed was because they they didn't know about the Predator's strength. I mean, if it wasn't for that, the Predator would have been trapped and dragged. And honestly, that's kind of cool to see that there are some competencies in the film. Like, honestly, if it was me, I would have been like, no, run, get out of there. But once I saw it actually working, I'm like, huh. They actually are competent compared to what other films have shown. Which is a nice change of pace. Uh, One thing I, like I said, I loved was the guns and the muskets. One thing I'll say is I loved when the Predator was staring at this one dude who was hesitant to firing the gun. And when he did fire the gun, it just ricocheted off the Predator's helmet and just went straight into his head. I'm there like, God dang. I kind of bursted out laughing with that one. And of course, the whole, hey, it's going to take us five minutes to reload these musket scenes. Anyway, uh, moving on, I want to also talk about the bad about the movie. I do want to say that Naru kind of got on my nerves, especially when it came to trying to prove herself and putting herself into more danger. That kind of got annoying, and I want to say how kind of selfish she was, especially towards the other Native American men, and how they were just trying to do their job and what the, her brother said of bringing her back, and her fighting against them to the point where she got where she punched them and looked like she broke one of their noses and the fact that they ended up punching her i gotta say she kind of seemed like she kind of deserved it because she was acting like a brat even though she was kind of right she was still kind of acting like a brat but anyway the good definitely outweighed the bad and this was just like a tiny sliver of things that got on my nerves which is great compared to the predator movie that came out back in 2018 god i can talk about that film for days Anyway, the good. Uh, I know I've been talking a lot of good about this, but the one thing I do want to bring up again is the pacing of the movie was great. So was the camera work. The tracking, the hunting throughout the film was fantastic. And the ruthlessness that was shown in this era was great. Just showing how bad this era was compared to today's standards. Uh, One thing I also want to talk about is just... How ruthless uh, some of the foreigners were to the Native Americans, just trapping the Native Americans, cutting them, as shown with the brother, and just using them for whatever means. Uh, Again, I want to say that this movie still gets a 9 out of 10, and it was fantastic, and I can't wait to see where this entire series leads. Now, uh, one thing I also want to talk about is the Aqua Teen Hunger Force clip has been released, about the new movie coming out. I didn't think this series would ever come back, but then again, here it is. And I want to say it looks like they spent all that animation budget on the clip because it looks a lot more smooth than the entire series put together. Anyway, I can't wait for the movie to come out and to see it in its all its glory. It seems like it's going to be such a fun film. Another one is that I am going to be seeing Dragon Ball Super Superhero releasing this week and I will be reviewing the movie about a week after and then doing a spoiler review a couple weeks. Anyway that's it for the movie section we're going to be moving on to video games. Now THQ Nordic has had their video game conference and they released some of the video games that they have been working on and releasing some of the trailers. First I want to talk about the biggest news of the conference was THQ making a South Park game. Now, I cannot wait to see how this goes, especially with the Stick of Truth and the Fraction But Whole games. They were fantastic, they were funny, and I'm wondering if they're going to follow the same type of gameplay. Now, if for many of you who don't know, THQ actually did a lot of stuff on the game Stick of Truth before they went bankrupt and ended up selling the rights and the game to Ubisoft. They somehow got the rights back and have been working on this for a while. And I'm wondering to see how they're going to do it. Is it going to be another RPG-style game? Is it going to be a game where you basically play as a South Park characters? Who knows? I'm ready for it, and I can't wait to see the jokes. And since we fought Morgan Freeman in the second game, who knows who we're going to fight next? Because, uh, (laughs) oh my god, can you imagine if we fight Samuel L. Jackson? That would be funny. Or... Oh, that would be kind of cool if we have to fight Keanu Reeves as the main villain. Oh, that would actually be kind of funny. Anyway, moving on. One other game that I'm excited about is SpongeBob Cosmic Shake. Now, the gameplay trailer was released, and it seems like this is an actual sequel to Battle of the Bikini Bottom. Uh, one thing I want to say is the attacks that SpongeBob does look very similar and the health bar, the life bar, was still determined by underwear. And the tiki boxes are back, and most of the gameplay looks similar. They did add a, new, a few more attacks and different special abilities, which is kind of cool. But I can't wait to play this game, since I spent so much time as a kid on the PlayStation 2, basically playing Battle of the Bikini Bottom, and for it to get an actual sequel. Since some of the games that released afterwards weren't really much of a sequel of course you had the spongebob the movie game that had uh krabby patties as the big win and stuff like that you had to collect the goofy goobers i mean it wasn't bad but it was different and it wasn't as open world ish as battle of the bikini bottom was so this game should be cool and i can't wait to see what uh different eras we're going to be playing because honestly i can't wait to go to the future (laughs) <laughs> oh, one of my favorite episodes future future <laughs> anyway uh, THQ also released a trailer for a hunting game called Way of the Hunter and while the trailer didn't really show much I think it's kind of cool that they are releasing a hunting game since it's kind of something that hasn't been done before in not in an arcade setting and I mean it's something that probably everybody will enjoy just Having a realistic hunting simulator where you have to hunt, you have to have different call signs, and do a bunch of stuff where you have to follow, like kind of like the fishing games and stuff like that. It'll be kind of cool, and hopefully, it turns out to be a great game. Uh, Another game that looks fantastic is Destroy All Humans 2. It looks amazing. I can't wait to play the remake of the sequel game. I can't wait for them to release part 3. And the dynamic of Crypto and his boss is hilarious. And I'm hoping once they're done remastering the games that they come out with a fourth one. Because honestly they're doing the games justice and having a fourth one would just be fantastic. Another game that was announced is Alone in the Dark and it kind of gives you a Resident 2, 3, and 7 feel. Uh, Of course probably a Resident Evil 1 feel. I have actually never played the first Resident Evil game. Because, honestly, they never remaster it. And I don't really have a, like, big reason to play the first one. Anyway, it seems like the survival horror genre is coming back and is making a comeback, which is great. And I'm excited for it. It looks great. The animation looks fantastic. The monsters look like nightmare fuel in a good way. And I'm here for it. Anyway, another game that has been released is Spider-Man on the PC. It is finally out and it's great to see a lot of PC players who never own a console, who's never going to own a console, experience the epicness that a lot of PlayStation fans have been experiencing with the swinging mechanics, the story, being able to just fight a bunch of people and it's just amazing. I can't wait for Miles Morales to get a PC port and I can't wait for Spider-Man 2, which is going to be great. I have no idea who am I going to play as more. Peter or Miles, and maybe more Miles just because of his powers, but who knows? And I can't wait to see how Venom and uh Craven the Hunter goes. Anyway, that's it for video games. We're gonna be moving on to movie theories. Alright, so first things first in movie theories, we're gonna be talking about the ending of Prey. And how I believed to a point that the Predators went and wiped the entire Native American colony out and collected the pistol as seen in Predator 2 when the Predators hand Danny Glover's character the pistol. Now, in my opinion, and this was before someone explained theirs, and I kind of like, oh, that makes a lot more sense, was made sense story-wise because the Predators would have depicted, would have been depicted in any art in the Native American culture were shown in Predator 2 because a lot of times when they talk about, hey, these guys came and destroyed a bunch of stuff it was talking and referencing to the first predator movie so in my opinion to reveal that these things were there beforehand would have been kind of cool to see the predators basically came and shown an avp where they lost they basically wiped out the species so there wasn't any evidence again this was my line of thinking to just wipe them out So they can come back and continue hunting them until it got to the point where, of course, you had human intelligence. They had helicopters where they couldn't keep quiet anymore compared to what it was like 300 years back where they didn't have mass communications. Where if they would have wiped them out, then that would have been it and kept them hidden, kept the fact that they were there, hidden from the world, at least for a time. Now, someone recently gave me another theory, which also makes a lot more sense that Naru was given high honors, as shown in AVP, and allowed the Predators to collect the head of the Predator she slayed, and the rest of the body. Most likely, the Predator gave her the honor that she was worthy prey. Now, this is a good and bad thing, if this is true, because this means that they spared her and her clan for now. But, because they see her as worthy prey, because she took out a Predator, that means that other Predators might have received the gun as a gift from her or even came back the following season to hunt naru which would actually make a lot more sense since they want to put their skills to ta- to the test and use different tactics to a warrior they deemed sip to honor since they slayed a predator before kind of explained in the predators where um uh, what Lauren Fishburne's character basically said yeah once we slayed them they came back they had different weapons different tactics they got a lot more interested once we killed one of them, which kind of makes sense. So basically the theory is, which I believe to be fact now, is that they came back the following season or a couple seasons, they hunted Naru, ended up killing her, and took the her skull and the pistol as a trophy, signifying that they bested a worthy prey. Now, for the sequel to Prey, I actually believe... That it will not be a direct sequel, but an indirect sequel where it's going to take place maybe in the same era, maybe not in the same era, or maybe take place in a different country. In my opinion, I really hope the country they pick is feudal Japan. Because I really think that the predator arriving in feudal Japan and hunting the samurai would make, really, would make a really great movie. I can see it working. Especially with with uh, the samurais being full honor, and similar to the predator with it hunting honorably, that would be kind of cool. Anyway, uh, moving on to my Star Wars, uh, to my theories, I'm going to be talking about Star Wars and my theories on what the new movie is going to be about. Now they have been teasing this new movie for some time, and I think that this is going to take place in the far future. I really don't think they're going to be making it a sequel where it's going to be like, oh yeah, Finn's still alive, Poe's still alive, Ray's still alive, they're a lot older. I really don't think that's going to happen because a lot of people still hold grudges with the way the sequel trilogies were handled. And most of them for a good reason because they kind of suck. Disney really fumbled the ball with 7, 8, and 9 with not really having a solid plan and having different directors with different styles take the helm. One thing I'll say is they really need to have a new set of characters, which wouldn't be a bad thing, and have them, I don't know, be from different places. I mean, the galaxy is so big, and they keep expanding it with different TV shows, like The Mandalorian, The Bad Batch, The Clone Wars, to have them being a different species. And the one thing about the universe being so big is they really don't have to have the main person, at least for the first movie, be a Jedi. But maybe someone who has uncovered a big evil or threats looming and is trying to escape to warn the newly formed Jedi Order. They can, uh, with honestly, with a lot of things they've hinted, they can use the threat that Thrawn alludes to in his own comic book and books, or some type of new alien life form that's able to neutralize the Force. No, not another Death Star, because that would just be redoing everything over again. Uh, One thing that they can do is, I remember reading, I don't know if this is from Legends or Canon, I remember reading about a planet that was basically abandoned that kept producing droids. But because uh, they basically wasted the planet away, they didn't have the means to build a ship. So what would be kind of cool is maybe that they end up you finding uh, someone finds a planet and decides to launch world domination by upgrading the droid, Or they find the planet and they have evolved to another type of form. Where they've been hidden, and because of this, they were able to uh, develop a consciousness, and they want to take over the galaxy. That would be kind of cool, because the battle droids, for what they're worth, they were pretty advanced. And having them evolve would be kind of interesting, to say the least. Anyway, this is just my theory. Who knows if it's going to happen? And if it does, you heard it here first. Anyway, uh, moving on from that, we're going to be talking about current events. Uh, right now, COVID has been making a comeback and has been hitting some people a lot harder than the previous variations, and some places have been hit, been hitting harder than others. Please make sure that you guys are safe, taking proper precautions, especially if your areas are seeing more cases pop up. I just want everyone to be safe. Anyway, uh, other news, United States currently is technically in a recession right now. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but we are technically in one. Uh, It may not feel like it, but people will start feeling the effects in the next months to come. My prediction may be 6 to 12 months. Who knows? And I just want to let you guys know so you can be wary of overspending and making sure you have some money left over for emergency situations that may come in the future because of how bad things happened in the last recession. Hopefully, it's not like a great recession or anything like that. Who knows? Anyway, uh, one thing I also want to let you guys know is that if you guys have any questions at all about comics, video games, or anything like that, please don't hesitate to contact me. I will try to implement it in my show, kind of talk about different things, explain different characters. I've done it before, so I don't mind doing it again. But anyway, that's it for my show. Thank you guys for listening. And if you haven't liked or subscribed, please do so. Leave a review. So iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you hear podcasts knows that French Chabu Johnny Fuent is here. And it's here to stay. Anyway, see you guys later. I hope you have a blessed day. So logging off. So sayonara. Talk to you later. And have a good one.